Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Muddy News Media. And welcome to the Offside Rule. It's me, Kate Borsay, the renegade master, back once again with the ill behaviour. Yes, that's right, folks. We're getting ready for the party season, just like Barcelona. We've got the fairy lights on, the lava lamps on. No, seriously, we have actually got a lava lamp in front of us here in the studio. More on that later, because let me introduce my fellow party people on this podcast. Get the white gloves ready. She got here via a groove jet, ready to pop. Because she's getting into the rhythm of the night. It's Premier League reporter Ali Bender. Hello. (laughs) That is possibly the best introduction I've ever had. And it's getting... (laughs) But like us, she can't... Because there's... No limits to what she can do. It's football journalist for Swedish newspaper Aftonbladet, Frida Fagerland. Welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It is your debut on this show. We spoke to you during the Women's World Cup. You're over here, of course, in the UK, uh, working as a freelance journalist. But tell us what you've been up to. Oh, I've been up to a lot of things. <laughs> um, yes. Football related, Frida, or do we need to know more? No, just football related. I, uh, I mean, there's so much going on. Uh, if it's not games, then it's interviews. And I've been all over the place, basically, in the whole of UK. And been to Scotland and Bristol and Manchester and Liverpool. But, I mean, it's so nice and it's so much fun. It's really enjoyable working with something you're really passionate yeah. about. Yeah, so predominantly Premier League, but you're also covering Champions League and, of course, going farther afield as well. What's been the highlight so far of your time in the UK? I do have to say I I find it really nice just, you know, meet so many different people, uh, like in every every game and, um, you know, chatting to people from all over the world, basically. That's not something I did. Obviously, when I was, you know, working during the World Cup and so on, you met a lot of different people as well. But it's really nice to do it occasionally. And it's a nice press pack over here as well. You get to see the same faces, don't you, Ali, pop up at games. You, yeah. get, to, you get to check in with people after a period of years sometimes. Of course, it's quite nice if you're the new kid on the block. Hopefully you're being introduced to lots of people, lots of the journalists who've been covering games for well, some of them decades. Yeah, and I think many found uh, found it quite interesting that suddenly there was this, you know, 26-year-old blonde Swedish person hanging around <laughs> in the press boxes. So a lot of people have actually been quite, you know, interested in knowing why I'm here uh, and been very, very nice. So so that's that's lovely. One thing you haven't liked so far? My brother-in-law, who is English, um, he's going to be so mad at me now, but I have to say I'm not really that uh, fond of English food. <laughs> I knew she was going to go there. I'm sorry. But we've got some really good Swedish cafes. What's it called? Filka that you have? Fika? Fika, yeah. Uh, That is to have a fika. What is a a fika? It's basically, instead of going to the pubs, we go and have a coffee and a bun. A cinnamon bun, perhaps. (laughs) So good. So instead of a pint, you have a coffee and a cinnamon bun. Yeah, I don't know if it's, you know that much more healthy because I mean it, it's still very sugary <laughs> I tried making those things and they have got so much butter and so much sugar because yeah. they got like butter between every layer mine didn't work out too good so I'll stick to the, the cafes but 
But English food, you're not. What about a Sunday roast, though? You can't beat a nice Sunday roast. Well, I, I actually don't eat meat. Uh, <laughs> is it good right? veggie ones? Yeah, but I mean, it, well, it is all about the vegan in January, isn't it? So hopefully you're yes. you're, you're you're enjoying yourself now. Ali, you were at Stamford Bridge this week, weren't you, for oh, that game? Yeah, don't remind Chelsea, me. Chelsea, Arsenal, two all. Yeah, watching my team twice go in front twice go behind watch Tammy Abraham go off injured I've actually just been checking Twitter to see an update we don't know hopefully it's not too serious uh, it was a frustrating night to be honest I mean thankfully Chelsea is still in fourth place no one seems to want fourth like everyone's messing up but it was it was a frustrating game and once again you know Chelsea making the same old mistakes at home Chelsea Frida and my team as well so it's you know it hurts big Chelsea fan over there Frida yeah. who have you enjoyed watching or which stadium have you enjoyed going to the most so far Hmm. Yeah, that's a tricky one because um, I have to say, I mean, Tottenham Stadium, it's that awesome, is something else. Yeah, um, I think the only stadium that actually gets close to it is probably Santiago Bernabeu. Yes, my favourite. Yeah. Love it. Uh, no, that, that's absolutely amazing. But I really enjoy going to Stamford Bridge. Um, mm. I find it really cosy and also also like um, where it's located. Yes, um, yeah, it's central and it it does have that heritage to it as yeah. well, doesn't it? It has that feeling that that it is football through and through. You, you just walk through the gates and it's all about the football, isn't it? Everything, every I mean, inch I'm of it, biased, every inch of the people there, every yeah. inch of it. The only thing they need to address, actually, and it's a funny thing because we're obviously, you know, women talking about football, they only have one woman's toilet in the press room. Mm. Now, back in the day when I started working, that really wasn't a problem. It was pretty much just me, me or, you know. But um, but now there's like a massive queue and a half time. If you don't peg it towards the loo, you're not getting in, basically. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the food is good at Stamford Bridge. You have to admit that. Very good. Right? The food is yeah. very good. Top we notch. Go. All right. Well, a reminder that we are available online and now on digital radio too. Fridays from four on Jack Radio, so be sure to tune in to that. At today's show, we are going club classic heavy. Could you tell from the intro? Oh, yes. That's after Barcelona flew over to Ibiza this week in the Copa del Rey. So we're going to be talking about the best and most unusual locations that we've watched football and being freed from desire after we discovered that Flat Earth FC actually exists. Flat Earth may not exist, but the the uh, football club in honour of Flat Earth exists. So we're going to be coming up with our own club manifestos. What theories do we subscribe to? What beliefs do we have? And can we make a football team around them? But first... All right, well, two can play that game. The club tunes have started. We're getting the white gloves on. The lava lamp's here. As we've said, I'm going to dim the lights, pump up the decks, get the bass box going. Yeah, I'm so- <laughs> Yeah, great. Well done, Kate. I'm really in the club culture. We're going to be talking Premier League to start off with and the top six because... What's great about this season so far is it's as exciting watching the underdogs as it is the big teams. And everyone's a bit all over the place. So we thought about what we might think could happen by the end of the season with the top six. Because it's kind of anyone, apart from Liverpool at the top, which we can just say, yeah, probably probably going to stay there. Absolutely fine. But apart from that, it's really looking like quite a mix there. As we record, let me tell you who's where. Liverpool top, then Man City, Leicester in third, Chelsea fourth, Manchester United fifth, Tottenham sixth. But of course, you've got Wolves, Sheffield United... Arsenal after that too. Plenty of interesting talking points. 
I would like you to tell me who's going to move into the top six in dramatic fashion or out of the top six or might move significantly within those top six places. Ali Bender. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, the first four, I think, are pretty much, well, you say that, but Chelsea could go anywhere. They're so inconsistent at the moment. But the problem is, I kind of think, I'm looking at Southampton in ninth, and I'm thinking, how on earth has this happened? After that (laughs) 9-0, they were relegation candidates, and now they're a point above Arsenal. So if you're Arsenal, I think you're really worried now about, you know, top four, top six. I mean, I would say, you know, you've kind of got the Liverpool, Man City, Leicester and Chelsea, and then two spots... Um, up for grabs for the likes of United, Tottenham, Wolves and Sheffield. And right now I'd give them to Wolves and Sheffield United because, you know, they've shown so much ambition. Um, they've done so well. And, and when you look at the, the sort of the regular top six candidates mm-hmm. like, you know, Tottenham and Arsenal and Manchester United, they're just having such a terribly inconsistent season. So what do you think about the depth of Wolves, though, and whether they will make an appearance in that top six? Because in terms of squad injury. I mean, everyone's suffering right at the moment. Everyone's complaining about it. Um, But Wolves really don't have the the mega bucks squad that a lot of the other teams have. So could that be their downfall towards the end of the season? Definitely. That's that's my only reservation. I mean, yeah, Nuno Espirito Santo, brilliant manager. It's a shame Lindsay's not here because she would rave on about it. Was that, we've actually got a lot of women in football who support Wolves. Uh, of course, Jackie Oatley. I was listening yes. to a brilliant podcast um, that she was doing for The Athletic, speaking specifically about Wolves um, the other day. And Carthy Nana Seagram as well, a Wolves fan. But yeah, I mean, they've got Raul Jimenez, who's, who's absolutely brilliant. That front three of uh, Jota Jimenez and Traore. Um, but there's just not enough attacking power to come on and actually on that podcast that I was just listening to on the way in Jackie was saying there was actually a couple of games this season where Nuno's made no substitutions at all Mm. uh, in a game and then somewhere he's only made one so you know lack of um, strength in depth and also the fact they're playing Europa League football I think there's going to be a bit of tiredness I think. Well picking up on the Europa League fact we forget that because they're in those qualifying rounds during the summer they only took four points from their first six games in the Premier League this season that's really interesting isn't it to come from that slow start to now be in seventh so are you saying Wolves are going to make an impact in the top six or not where's your money (laughs) I'm totally going to sit on the fence I I, I love to I love to kind of give you my my I'm actually going to say no overall I would I would be I'd be surprised if they did end up in a top six spot because of those factors that we've talked about. But I've put my case, I've put my case forward for them. Yeah, I would, I would go against that. I have to say, wolves, yeah. wolves are one of my pick to make the top six, precisely because United's so inconsistent. There's lots of concern about the manager. They had that awful loss to Burnley uh, on Wednesday night as well awful press lines around the club all the pundits and the ex-players are coming out and attacking them as well so there's not what's going on at Manchester United at the moment is not good at all so I would argue that they could easily slip away Spurs well there's rumours that Jose Mourinho's lost the dressing room he's bemoaning all sorts of injuries of course he had Lloris back uh, this week but uh, Harry Kane long-term injury has to be um, a concern as does the injury to Harry Winks we don't quite know what the situation with that is as we record this but I could easily see either United or Tottenham slipping out and actually Wolves to their credit continuing with grinding out out these results even if the odds are a little against them Frida who's your pick to go in out or significantly move in this table well I have to say I'm actually quite surprised that Leicester is still in third place despite having struggled a bit uh, lately but I mean that says a lot about the other teams so yeah and I mean also they 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 lack a depth in in the squad that's pretty obvious and but 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 still I mean they're so far ahead that I think it would take a lot for them to actually just, you know, 
fall away. Yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, it, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do, you know, next season to actually keep up with this because um, obviously it, it will be hard to actually reach that next level. Yeah. And you could definitely see that they entered a certain stage where the opponent is, is almost allowed to sit deep and they've struggled so hard to actually, you know, beat those teams. So it, it, it's going to be interesting to see where, where they're heading. And the weird thing about Leicester, of course, is that they are arguably overachieving. And as you say, how do they sustain that? But they're used to this trajectory, aren't they? Doing really well and then falling away and then doing doing really, really well. Um, you've got to look at the injury to Jamie Vardy as well. We don't know too much about that at the moment. Apparently, it's not a hamstring injury. But it would only take, you know, Vardy to be out for a series of games, particularly at this time of the season when the games are so compacted, for that to make a real difference. We've seen the impact that losing Harry Kane has had on Tottenham, for example. So, Although, yeah. I would just to interject there I was actually at the Leicester game I've watched um, a lot of Leicester this season live actually I've, I've had some great games I was actually at the 9-0 as well which was just absolutely mental Awful, yeah. um, but I was there on the 28th of December against West Ham um, and Jamie Vardy had just had his baby and so he was actually rested or yeah. obviously not featured in that game and they rested a few I think uh, Ricardo Pereira as well uh, made quite a few changes and, and still managed to do okay so I mean it's I mean, that was against West Ham, who mm. were struggling. And then actually at the end of that game, um, Manuel Pellegrini got the sack, didn't he, two hours after kickoff. So it's not necessarily the benchmark. But, it, it, do you know, it's such a weird thing because I can literally make a case for and against every single one of these mm. teams. You know, for Chelsea, that's similar. You know, they've, they uh, like you said, Frida, with um, Leicester, they've, you know, they've got such a good buffer by doing well sort of early on in the season that even if they do slip away a little bit, I still think, you know, they've, they've got a little bit. Where do Arsenal sit in all this? They're in 10th at the moment. Do they start to make inroads into the top six? In terms of points, Arsenal are on 30 and you've got Spurs in sixth on 34. So they're only a game and a draw or two games away from infiltrating that top six. Will Arsenal return to what many fans would argue, including producer Abby, is their rightful position in the table? I think they will, actually. And I also think that they should have had more points by now than they've actually got. I mean, just the game last week, uh, Nicolas Pepe should definitely have had a penalty. And if he had had a penalty, then they probably would have won. Would have won the game. Yeah. So I think they're heading in the right direction. And I think Mikel Arteta is the right man to actually lead this team. He seems very bright. He seems very tactical skilled, but also... He, he gets something out of the players that Unai Emery just didn't. So I actually don't feel that worried to say about Arsenal. About Arsenal. It's those draws at the moment, three consecutive yeah. draws in the league for Arsenal. Just picking up on Southampton, you talked about how amazing their jump up the table was and they were in our relegation fodder in November. They were 19th in the league. They've jumped up 10 places to 9th in the league. They're third in the form table so that gives you some indication of what they're doing but that that's a huge jump and actually a really nice jump a really welcome jump if we're talking about keeping the league competitive about how clubs can be in relegation positions at significant times in the season and then jump back to recover to a mid-table position but do we think it's going to last at Southampton? 
I don't, to be honest. I mean, I wouldn't put them in the conversation of top six, even though they're pretty close on it now. But I think it's, I think it's phenomenal the fact that they kept their heads up high after that. Like, I know they're, they're never going to live that nine nil defeat down, no, to be aren't. honest, because you, you can't help it. Was that what they needed? I think it probably was. And I mean, it, it was, it was such a crazy game. And I actually, I think I've spoken about it here before, but I spoke to Danny Ing straight after that game, and he was so man enough to come and actually yeah. come out and speak about it. And and he said, you know, the thing is, I think they've always been behind the manager they really like Carson Hüttel and what he's done and he's got such uh, he's, he's got the best out of so many players so they are playing for the manager and it, you know Ings actually the problem with him he's, he's on brilliant form but he can't actually play every game either but even when he was rested they were still able to get the job done and I think they're you know that magic word of momentum and they're doing brilliantly but yeah I, I think I think it's brilliant they've pulled away from relegation I think that you know we can safely maybe safely say that they won't be relegated now but I definitely don't think that they've got quite enough to, to be staying up in that those kind of upper mm. echelons but but you know I'd feel like I was saying if I was Arsenal I'd be so angry that Southampton are ahead of us like ahead of them but as Frida said I think from that two-all draw against Chelsea I've noticed that Arsenal are bringing back some of the things that they lacked like the the leadership the fight you know Granite Xhaka looks like a man reinvented a yeah, lot of people said turnaround. he'd never play again and, and brilliant that he is Hector Bellerin he comes back he captains the side he scores a goal it's you know brilliant story for them but so do Leno you think Arsenal good. will go back into the top six I, I, I don't Ali, I don't off the fence off the fence I know I, I just don't the, know uh, I don't think the, so the uh, fate of your appearances on this podcast <laughs> depend on it producer Abby's eagerly watching listening uh, as to what everyone's predicting um, you don't know Frida any other quick shouts for you in terms of who might change position who might enter the top six or leave the top six well, I, I do think that Arsenal is going to make it. I, <laughs> um, I don't think they're Points that to Frida far behind. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll say that they okay, they will be back. Yeah. Frida's putting her money on Arsenal, whereas Ali Bender won't. But then she's a Chelsea fan, so perhaps there is some deep-rooted faithfulness going on here. All I'll right. change my mind within, within the podcast as well. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to Ibiza. <laughs> Barcelona went to Ibiza this week and almost lost. Yes, Ibiza went ahead, but sadly, an injury time winner from Griezmann meant that the Catalan Giants progressed through in the Copa del Rey. It's also important to point out that Ibiza are more than a party island, as the Ibiza boss Pablo Alfaro said. We're a serious club. We're not a nightclub. I like the play on club, by the way. Brilliant. Without limitations, he continued. We're going to compete and I'm sure that we'll bring a war, a football war, not a dance floor war, but a football war. Thank you. How we wished we'd been there. Uh, but instead, I just would like to know, do Ibiza FC bang out the club tunes before kickoff? Because I'd be so upset if they didn't. Are there any coloured lights? If it gets a bit chilly, do they give you white gloves? Do they hand out whistles? Well, probably not whistles because that would annoy the referee. Um, I'd like to know about the Ibiza experience, please. We would like to celebrate. We'd like to ask you both about some of your favourite experiences in football in terms of the grounds that you've been to or the places that you've been to. Or even if you've been on a football journey following... Um, a certain team in a tournament or whatever you've been up to. Frida, let's go to you. My first ever trip as a football journalist when I was around 24 years old was to uh, Thessaloniki in Greek, uh, Greece, mm. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> and Greek side, Pauk. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was a 
quite intense experience, I must tell us, say. Tell us why. Well, Greek football is it's all about passion, almost you know, a, a bit violent. Like it, it oh, it's feels, kind of tribal. I mean, yeah, really tribal is. over there, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I mean, the game was... I actually went there because of Graham Potter, because um, his Swedish side, Östersund, were playing against okay. Park in the Europa League qualifications. And I was completely by myself, which was also like uh, an experience. <laughs> and everyone thought it was really weird, you know, me being there, because there were so, you know, much older guys, you know, sitting in the press box. And there I was, you know, the 24 Hi, years everyone. old. Yeah, exactly. Um, and actually the guy next to me in the press box, uh, he was smoking weed during the game that that was how weird it was um <laughs> so i mean the atmosphere was was completely insane it was almost like you know this animalistic feeling can yeah. you even say that animal yeah yeah, yeah. Right, yeah did that um did you pick up on that and did that worry you at all it didn't worry me i was actually so excited okay. i couldn't sleep for several days after this game because i was so <laughs> like hyped almost what else were they serving up in that press box I don't yeah. know. anyway um <laughs> yeah maybe I was, bit, oh, I was a bit dizzy i don't, I don't know <laughs> but uh, it was a really incredible experience um and since it was my first time ever and yeah. that's unusual i mean you do obviously pick up on some of the atmosphere in the press box or in the media box, but, you know, you don't get all of it. You don't get the full fan experience there because you're slightly segregated off, you're slightly diluted. So for you to feel it in the press box too, and what was the atmosphere like before and after the games of arriving and leaving at the stadium? Because you were all on your own. (laughs) Yeah, it was so incredibly hot. This was in the middle of the summer and I remember walking there during the afternoon and I was so sweaty when I came there, (laughs) which was basically, I mean, during the World Cup, that was insane as well. I mean, the heat was just... The Women's World Cup was super, uh, super sweaty, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. But it's it's really nice. I mean, the ground or the stadium, it's quite convenient. I mean, Thessaloniki is not really... Uh, a beautiful city, so to say. So um, it's all about the stadium. Yeah, it And really all about is. the atmosphere created in the stadium. Yeah, and it's painted in, in parks, colours, uh, black and white. And it was just, yeah, it's just a really nice stadium and um, a very interesting mm. uh, memory to yeah. have. How did Graham Potter's side do? They lost that game, but they actually won uh, the second leg. So they went through yeah. and they obviously, I mean, they played Arsenal and, and lost, but yeah. they won the game against the Emirates, so. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Ali Bender, I bet you've been to some good football places. I have, and actually, it's funny just listening to you. I suddenly a few just popped into my mind because things you said, like um, you know, Fenerbahce, welcome to hell. That was that's you know again that kind of tribal and animalistic, like you say, it's so true. One of the things that stood out to me as well. This actually was as a fan rather than a presenter. I decided to go and stand in with the ultras at Fiorentina because I was in Florence, yeah. and I just thought, why not? Well, I have to say, oh my goodness, standing in with the ultras in any club is an experience and they actually have like a couple of guys that don't even watch the game they just literally focus on the, the see, fans and the singing that would really annoy me so much because it's I'm crazy. like why are you there and, and and I've been even to local games I went to a game at Charlton once and there was one guy just didn't watch any of the football he spent the whole time turning around at the crowd yeah. 
and slating the um, opposite stand as well, just literally bleating off expletives in the family stand. And I was like, what the heck? Like, like watch wow. the game. Surely that's why you're here. It's crazy. But, and they look so passionate. I mean, this guy is, is a massive fan and he was literally looking at me, like shouting, I'm guessing, why aren't you singing the club lyrics kind of thing? Oh the club. The, so I had to, had to very quickly learn the club songs. And it was like, you know, it was quite obvious what they were. Like, fear, fear, fear. We just, you just copy yeah. the rest of the fans. So did you then have to... To copy them, and if you yeah. and if you didn't copy them, you'd feel like you were going to be turfed out totally. or going to be given a hard time. I did. I really felt. I actually felt quite unsafe. Yeah. But it was it was it was a brilliant, brilliant experience. But in terms of reporting, the one that kind of there's a couple that stand out to me. But Stau Bucharest, oh, in Romania, was just so magical because it's that whole kind of it's near Transylvania. It was a late kickoff. It was Champions League against Real Madrid, and we were up in the rafters, and there were actually bats flying around in the stadium. And you know, the night before, we'd gone out with the locals, and we. We'd been drinking straight vodka, so I wasn't feeling too great actually. Um, but I was having the full experience, the full Romanian experience, and it was so weird. Like the the club owner of Stau Bucharest is a little bit crazy, and he basically said that he wanted Ram- uh, Ramon Calderon, the Real Madrid president, and him to do this like blood brothers thing, and he wanted them to cut themselves and exchange blood on the cameras. <laughs> And Real Madrid TV, who I was working for at the time, were a bit like, um, I'm not so sure we're that cool with this. But he was like, no, it'd be brilliant, it'd be brilliant. And then it turned out it was actually, he was joking. So they pretended to cut himself oh, and he put okay. ketchup on. Oh, um, oh my still, God, the ketchup's a bit, a bit I weird. I mean, it was, it was the most surreal away trip ever. So you had to film yeah. this pretending to cut yourself yeah. but you've got ketchup there instead yeah I mean it was it was like everything about that trip was just nuts and you know over the years I've had so many of those it was actually it was a really nice topic um, because last night I sat there and I actually was flipping through some of my old memories because I've actually put them like in a book and like written about them so I don't forget have you got a memory book I've got a memory book yeah oh, nice. um, old school it's not even digital Very nice. so it's all stuck down but yeah some of these kind of like popped into my head and I've had some some great journeys in football I have to give a shout out to my fellow Swedes as well and add that the Stockholm derbies are actually absolutely amazing. Right. I mean, when it comes to atmosphere yeah. and craziness, that's like, you almost get got like used to it, which, which is pretty bad because it's so amazing. Um, and every time you go there, it's like you really get like a wow moment, yeah. which is so nice. So if you ever going to... So what's the main derby in Stockholm? What's the... There are actually three clubs. Right. So it's AIK, Hammarby and Djurgården. Um, and Oof. they all hate each other um, so, so much. You see, I would, I would picture the Swedes as being quite a peace-loving race. Well, d- yeah. But not when it comes to those three teams, Oh, right? no, definitely not. So this is the ugly side. Yeah, student. this is the, definitely <laughs> the ugly side, if you'll say that. Um, now, if you ever go to a game in, in Sweden, go to Stockholm Derby. That would be amazing. Well, I went to the Brazil World Cup. Didn't get to see anything at the Maracanã because we oh. weren't following the teams that, that that happened to be playing at that venue. But we did go to Rio. We had to camp out, out at Rio because that's where the England team was staying. And in terms of a great location to go to, you can't beat Rio on the beach. Also watching beach football as well because it is it does feel like the home of football and it's so ingrained on everything that goes on there or within everything that goes on there and I think just the memories of being at a tournament it being sunny and hot and it's just nice isn't it to wander around without having to wear like your coat particularly at this time of year you are laden with layers aren't you basically cold most of the time the biggest conversations between 
uh, reporters in the press box is how do you stay warm? Do those, uh, you know, electric stroke gel hand warmers work? How do I keep my feet from not falling off through frostbite? So it's so lovely to be watching football when you don't have to wear a whole load of clothes, if, if that sounds totally, random. Totally, totally. And New Camp as well. I mean, I mean, it's it, it's basically one of those special places, isn't it? I saw a game there in 2006 when Rijkaard was still in charge and Ronaldinho scored and Messi scored. I think it was Real Betis that, that, that they were playing against. And, and I think there is, just because of the sheer size of it, there is, there is nothing that really comes close in terms of emotional feeling, obviously going to Anfield for me is a big one, but also because Anfield's a really special place and it because of its size, because it's quite small, it has that it has that feeling of 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 sort of hugging you and and if you don't have a great experience there as a fan because your side's lost, then that feels even more emotional, I think, because it's just also in your face. Um and uh, at the World Cup in Canada for the Women's World Cup, not the stadium, but Vancouver as a place, I would absolutely recommend going to Canada to Vancouver not just to see Harry and Meghan not just because I want another excuse <laughs> to get uh, to get the uh, Harry and Meghan saga in this podcast but just because I can understand why they've gone to Vancouver it's the best of loads of different lifestyles whether it's beach lifestyle and water sports or whether it's you know really cool restaurants bars whether it's the business side of it it is it's a really cool place to go to well next up manifestos at the ready we're literally going to make our own football clubs <laughs> My lover's got no money, he's got his strong beliefs. My lover's got no power, he's got his strong beliefs. My lover's got Now how no fitting is that? My lover's got, got no money, but he's got his strong beliefs. And that's kind of exactly how Flat Earth FC came about. It's the first football club whose followers are united not by location, but by an idea, by a theory even if it is a conspiracy theory. Javi Povez, who is a former Sporting Gijon player, was basically the man behind the idea to rename this. It's a professional club. It sits in Spain's fourth tier. And no jokes aside, they are called Flat Earth FC. They renamed themselves not that long ago, I don't think, from what I can see here. And he's basically said, we are born to unite the voices of millions of Flat Earth movement followers. Yes, they exist. And all those people who are looking for answers. He'd already basically quit his his football career early because he sort of hit out against capitalism so he wanted to do something a bit different and he's just very reasonably said when I've asked why water doesn't curve no one's been able to give me a proper answer so therefore according to Povez uh, the world is flat okay with me guess what their mascot is oh I think I might have seen it it's an astronaut, isn't it? It is an astronaut, which is even more <laughs> insane because do astronauts not see how the world is shaped? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Would astronauts not be the very people to dispel the flat Earth theory? It's a terrible choice. It's a terrible choice of mascot. <laughs> and you must look this up, by the way, because it's it's literally a football playing mascot. So, yes, at the video by Copper90, um, just search Flat Earth FC and you can find it. And I was thinking about, do you know what? If we were given a shed load of cash and a club and they said, do you know what, we're not going to follow traditional football rules. We're not going to do this by location or as was originally the case, uh, clubs like Arsenal set up at Woolwich Arsenal based on big, huge factories. How about I just say to you, do you know what, whatever you believe in, whatever your back ladies, you can set up a football club along those lines who would like to tell me what brainchild of a club they've come up with first Ali 
I'll go for it. I was inspired, actually, because when I was in the Chelsea press box, um, I noticed that Chelsea have done away with plastic bottles. They're using cans now, which is great. And we're all for recycling, aren't aren't we? So my club is going to be called Real Cyclable. Um, (laughs) Okay, good. Bamboo seats. No plastic pitches. We only play on grass. Yes. Um, The kit will be green, of course. Although I'm actually thinking, you know, let's do away with the washing. Let's just wear no kit. You know? Oh, naked. Naked football, yep. Naked football. There's a men's team and a women's team as well, so something for everyone. (laughs) Um, They share baths rather than taking showers afterwards to save water. Right. And obviously, as a Chelsea fan, I've been called a plastic fan for many years. So if I have this, I will never be called plastic again. (laughs) (laughs) So the the climate changes, otherwise known as recyclable, what, what, what are they called? Real Cyclable. Real Cyclable. Um, Frida, tell me that you've got something to touch that in terms of excellence. Yeah, my idea wasn't totally different, but um, since, I mean, now now was I was very harsh on British food, but I'm actually really <laughs> passionate about food. Okay. Um, so I thought since it's still veganuary... Maybe we should go with something like FC Vegan or something. FC Vegan. Yeah, so where everyone's everything is plant-based. It's maybe. like Forest Green Rovers. Do you know about them? So they actually they have that. Oh, yeah, yeah they, they actually have that concept. Yeah. It's nice. I was going to raise this. So perhaps the kind of nearest example, although it is based around a location, but fortunately, aptly, they, they are called Forest Green Rovers. And this is arguably the most green club mm. in England. And... They eat purely vegan food, and I think only vegan food is served at their ground, right? Yeah, I actually heard a story on the radio, and it made me a bit angry, but I forget who it was, but one of the visiting managers or maybe club owners insisted on being fed meat. And they were saying, but this is the whole point of our club, you know, and you can eat meat 364 days of the year, but on the one day that you play our club, can you please have a vegan meal? That's what we do. Yeah. That's what we serve. And apparently he got the complete hump and stormed off, which is ridiculous. I love what they're doing with this club. And, you know, I think it's brilliant. I was also chatting to some Watford players and Mariapa is vegan and apparently has convinced quite a lot of the Watford team to go vegan. And bizarrely, ever since they turned vegan, and of course Nigel Pearson's there, they've got this like massive upturn in form. <laughs> yeah, they have. So, you know, if they mm. end up staying up, they could say powered by plants, you know, Watford, powered by plants or something that's, like that's that. very interesting. Yeah. Um, producer is wondering if Greta Thunberg would be the president of your of club. Of course. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely get on the phone for, to her, for sure. I was having a think about mine, and I think there is, in the world, but also particularly within football, too much disparity between what happens at the top and what happens at the bottom. There is a, there's a stark contrast. Even if you look at the pitches and the state of some of the pitches and the amount of games that have to be called off in the lower leagues and in non-league compared to what happens in the Premier League. And I was thinking about Common Goal, which is an initiative. I know Jurgen Klopp's part of it and there are several other high-profile high players who give a percentage of their wages. They basically say, I'm going to dedicate a percentage of what I earn and that goes to good causes, goes to the Common Goal. And I thought, how about a whole football club? on this premise a great where every single player has to donate and they're basically paid market wages. So whether they're in, I don't know, League Two, whether they're non-league, whether they are Premier League and hopefully they would get to the Premier League because the good forces of nature, the good, the good vibes would basically mean that they will go towards the top of the league but they'd have to give some of their salary up same for the manager maybe same for the door takings as well I had to think carefully about how they'd make money how they'd how they'd hang on to money but this would be a football club flying the flag for reducing the disparity 
between rich and poor, especially in this weird, horrible, overinflated society that we live in. I like that one, Kate. And I have to say, you could even go a step further, but you could say that if you're a journalist who's actually covering that game, you have to give a percentage of your fee as well. <sighs> tricky. Ouch, this, that would be this, a... is, this, this is where it you gets very we're... tricky. Indeed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How do you divide 10% of £70? I don't know. Anyway, uh, yes, good idea. All right, let's move on to any other business. Now, any other business? These are the stories that just, you know, pop out during the week, the slightly weird and wonderful side of football, as there are always many of these. Fort William, now we follow their progress very closely. Frida's looking at me in a puzzled way. Fort William are a Scottish team. (laughs) They are high and mighty for the fact that they do struggle to get the results. And so whenever they do well, we like to point it out here. So congratulations, Fort William. Their first league away match has been won since 2016. Wow. Big up the Fort William. James Norwood, Ipswich player, he used a rock to smash his car window to avoid being late for training. It took three attempts to break through. I'd imagine it'd be quite difficult to break your car window with a rock because surely all these, you know, quite nice cars, high-spec cars, have have got the kind of non-breakable windows. He basically figured that it would be cheaper to replace the window than it would for the fine of being late. Wow. Mm. Ali, have you got anything? Yeah, I I I had a little look around. The one thing that popped out of me actually was for the Everton game, instead of doing like a regular team sheet on their social media or on Twitter, they put out um, a team sheet that was drawn by school kids, which I thought was quite cute. It's always a bit different, isn't it? I mean, not not a single player looks like who it's supposed to be. (laughs) If you you put it out there as a quiz, I, I, you know, you would not get them right. But I just think it was a little bit different and it's quite nice. And I thought I'd quite like to sit down with my team and do the Chelsea starting. 11 just like sketched out sketched out I'm a terrible drawer but um, like yeah that it. was a bit fun Frida do you have one for us um, well I recently just found out that um, this club legend from um, Hammarby one of the Stockholm clubs Kennedy Baxioglu he, he launched his own beer and there's actually a pretty fun story behind this whole thing because one of his last games for Hammarby, he's been playing there for ages. So he's a legend, basically. Yeah, a real le- legend, like the biggest one, yeah. I would say. And one of his last appearances, he, he came on for Hammarby in, you know, the 80th minutes or so. They got a free kick and he's a really good, you know, free kick taker. And anyway, he scored, um, which was, I mean, amazing yeah. enough ran towards the fans some guy you know very high up on the end dropped his beer in a plastic mug and Kennedy actually uh, received it like caught um, it yeah caught it and took a sip from it (laughs) and that was you know a crazy moment and apparently that is why he he launched his own beer he now has his own beer um Ennio Luco, former Lioness, has been named Sporting Director of Aston Villa Women. Yeah, so great news, of course, great after news. Claire Rafferty, uh, non-exec director at Lewis. Uh, and one from our WSL show. You can check that out, by the way, on its own feed if you want to see uh, what uh, several of your favourite women's teams are doing. Of course, Arsenal-Chelsea, huge game there last week. Have you seen Fran Kitchen-Scar? She's the Liverpool goalkeeper. She got clattered in training over the head. And if you are on her social media, Fran Kitching, okay, K-I, T C H I N G. Take a look if you if you're the kind of person that likes a horror injury. It's it, she's basically the top of her head must have been split open by a stud. We got the expert oh. opinion of Kelly Smith, uh, former Arsenal and England legend. She thinks it was a stud. It's oh. horrific. If you like some gore, check that out over on Twitter. 
Well, that's all for today's show. We've left you on a gruesome tip there. Uh, remember, you can let us know what you think of us uh, by uh, heading over to Apple Podcasts. You can leave a review. You click the fifth star, of course, and that fills all the rest in. It's just really techno magic. Uh, and you can tweet us um, at Offside Rule Pod, which is also how you'll find us on Instagram. Our website, Offside Rule Podcast, gives you the latest on lots of different footballing stories. Our weekend wanderings is there as usual at five talking points for the weekend ahead and plenty more besides. Marcel Cape also saying goodbye. Ali Frieda, thank you so much for joining us. I'm not going to call on you. You can call on me instead. Uh, we'll see you next week, folks. Bye-bye. The Offside Rule is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's new racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. Tune in for analysis, interviews and a bit of crack from the greatest trio since salt, vinegar and chips, but marginally less unhealthy. The first episode is out now. Marini's Media Sports Social Podcast Network